Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Thorne Byram of the Vancouver Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Westbridge Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam Yurt. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the and I'm. This is Alex Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL. And now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. And more. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. This is the Pipeline Show. All right. Well, good weekend. Welcome to another home isolation edition of uh, the Pipeline Show. Key Flaming with you, as always. Thank you again for coming back for another episode of the Pipeline Show. Or if you're a newcomer, then welcome to the program. We always start with the uh, question of the day. And uh, earlier this week, I put it up on Twitter. Um, basically asked who you would like me to get on the show to have a, uh, you know, a, a sort of a long-form casual conversation. Uh, this week, for instance, I'll get to the guest list, the full guest list for this week's episode uh, in a moment. But uh, you're going to hear an extended conversation with uh, longtime uh, broadcaster Pete Labardius where we talk about basically his career and how he got into things and uh, the ins and outs of doing his job and his passion for the sport and where that came from and and, uh, some of the stories that he has uh, over the last, I think it was 35 years or so, he says he's been doing this. So uh, things like that, Uh, people like that, whether they're coaches or players or, you know, maybe they're players that I had on the show uh, back when they were in junior or college and have moved on and if I can get in contact with them. Uh, but let me know. And I got some replies into the uh, inbox. Uh, Paul from uh, Dub Network says, uh, just as much as you're able to do, which is great. Tommy says he'd like to hear a 2020 draft spotlight on uh, Stephen Halliday of the Dubuque Fighting Saints or Dylan Holloway from the Wisconsin Badgers. And, uh, of course, Dylan Holloway was on the show just uh, about six weeks ago. So I resubmitted uh, that link uh, to Tommy so he could hear that interview. Uh, Tony Ferrari, who uh, does some scouting of his own, says he'd like to hear some of the guys from EP Ringside uh, on the show. And uh, maybe I'll track down J.D. Burke again uh, or some of the other scouts that uh, are with EP Ringside. Of course, I've had some of the uh, writers on the show over the last year as well. Uh, Brad Cogemilio, who you've heard on the program here, he covers the Sioux Greyhounds in the OHL. He says, uh, I like the casual conversation idea. This That could be pretty fun with different people around hockey. And that's the point. So if there's somebody on a short list that you have, uh, let me know. You can uh, always follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Uh, the news and notes uh, portion of the uh, show this week, well, going to be pretty short because there's nothing going on. I, I did read that the Kelowna Rockets have secured ice well into June in case things uh, get back uh, going in time uh, to host the Memorial Cup. And who knows what the format uh, for that would look like. You know, hypothetically, if things got back to normal in, I don't know, May, what sort of a playoff you would have in the CHL. Of course, the seasons have all been uh, wiped out and and ended, and 
the final regular season standings are whatever they were uh, when the uh, the plug was pulled uh, on the season. So, for example, out here in the West, the Portland Winterhawks uh, win the Scotty Monroe Trophy uh, for having the most points. Uh, meanwhile, Edmonton and uh, Everett right on their heels. But what what that would mean for playoffs or who would, who knows? There's so much uncertainty. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. Lots of news out of the NCAA, though, with all the publications uh, making their All-American list. Well, I joined uh, again with that uh, from a Canadian perspective. Second annual All-Canadian teams uh, I put out. Patrons got a uh, an article about that. I can tell you the six guys who uh, were the first-team All-Canadians, uh, Jordan Kawaguchi from North Dakota, Alex Newhook of Boston College with Morgan Barron uh, from the uh, Big Red of Cornell, uh, they were the three forwards, along with uh, Brinson Pashnuk from Arizona State and Ian Mitchell of the Denver Pioneers. Goaltender Francis Marat of the uh, Clarkson Golden Knights. The uh, second team, uh, all Canadians this year, Adam Brady and Owen Sillinger, both with Bemidji State. Matt Tugnett of Sacred Heart. Uh, Wyatt Kalnuck from uh, the Wisconsin Badgers and Jacob Bernard Docker of North Dakota. Tyler Wall is the goaltender on the second all Canadian team. He plays for UMass Lowell, and uh, the six rookies, of course, Alex Newhook uh, from Boston College, Braden Tuck of Sacred Heart, Elijah Gonsalves uh, of RIT, Zach Ewens of Merrimack, Corey Babichuk from uh, RPI, and uh, Matt Radomsky, goaltender with Holy Cross. Some signings that we can pass your way, and things kind of uh, started uh, early in March. Uh, Tyler Tucker with the Flint Firebirds signed on with uh, St. Louis. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks signed Bryce Kindop. Jake Christensen of the Everett Silvertips uh, signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Then you get into the uh, senior free agents or the free agents out of college and uh, Patrick Kotarenko of Michigan State inked up by the New York Rangers. Toronto signed uh, Mikhail Abramov of the Victoriaville Tigre who they drafted last June. Wyatt Wiley who was a draft pick of the Philadelphia Flyers, was signed by Philly. Drew O'Connor was one of the top college freshmen, or free agents, rather, this year, and Dartmouth College was where he played. Well, the uh, Penguins snapped him up. Alex Turcotte signs with Los Angeles. The uh, New York Rangers also signing Keandre Miller, who they drafted a couple of years ago. Defenseman Cam Lee from the Western Michigan Broncos comes to terms with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Boston signed Jeremy Swayman. He had another year of eligibility left, uh, but leaves Maine a year early. The Buffalo Sabres signed Brandon Byro of uh, Penn State, former Spruce Grove Saint, a local area guy here. Uh, Nick Wolf, defenseman with uh, Minnesota Duluth, also signs with uh, Boston. Uh, four more to get to. Ryan McGregor is now with the Arizona Coyotes. He played with the uh, Sarnia Sting. Cole Smith a big forward with the University of North Dakota, a senior. He has uh, now signed with the Nashville Predators. The Vancouver Canucks signed uh, two players, uh, Will Lockwood of uh, the Michigan Wolverines and Mark McCallis with Minnesota State. Uh, of course, he was the uh, the German who put up uh, big numbers. I think he finished third in NCAA scoring this year. Nate Susie signs with the Arizona Coyotes. He was also at Penn State. And uh, just coming down the wire, Hugh McGing from uh, Western Michigan is signed by the St. Louis Blues, who drafted him a little while ago. All guests join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline Brewery out of Red Deer, Alberta, making some fantastic craft brews. You can get to the liquor store nearest you and uh, pick up the taster pack. That way you get 
a, a nice variety of uh, brews that are available, the Pesky Pig and the Golden Gates and the American, uh, the Open Road American Brown Ale, as well as the Bucktooth Belgian White. Uh, picked up a case of that myself, and uh, we'll hunker down and uh, enjoy some of that during this a time of uh, self-isolation. But if your liquor store doesn't have any uh, Troubled Monk, uh, find out why and demand better. So that you can try some of this as well. Uh, you can get the uh, Rebels Red. You can also get the uh, Daycation. That's one of my favorites. And if you happen to be in Red Deer, when things get back to normal, you can go to the uh, tap room, enjoy lunch, and a bunch of uh, brews that they have right there on tap as well. Okay, that's it for the news and notes. Uh, coming up on the show today, you're going to hear from three guests. I already mentioned Pete Lubardius. Uh, an extended conversation with Pete. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that. Uh, we'll also have a 2020 draft spotlight segment with uh, Jake Sanderson, who is uh, one of the top defensemen available for the uh, 2020 draft, uh, whenever that draft is held. He played for the U.S. National Development Team, dual citizen, but uh, playing internationally for the United States. Get to know Jake Sanderson uh, today. And we'll end it with uh, Brinson Pashnak, who I mentioned, uh, all-Canadian, in the NCAA this year, and uh, on the verge of signing with an NHL team, that comes up, and uh, he dropped the news uh, in that during that conversation with me. But we talked about his four years with the Sun Devils, what it meant to him, and uh, you know how he's sort of evolved as a player uh, over that time. So uh, a great conversation with a guy who's been on the show uh, a few times over the last few years, as he was back in the Alberta Junior Hockey League with the Bonneville Pontiacs. Uh, so he's been a guest on the Pipeline Show for a while now. Uh, but let's start things off with a, a, a really fun conversation. Pete Labardius from Rogers Sportsnet. He leads things off next here on the Pipeline Show. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc! And the Blades have opened the scoring in Game Two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Doc of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. 
We're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, it's always a pleasure when I get a chance to speak with my next guest, uh, and we'll call it an in-the-dub segment. You can stay up to date on everything happening in the WHL. There isn't a lot these days, but the fine folks at dubnetwork.ca uh, do a great job of keeping you up to date on anything that does come up. Uh, you can uh, subscribe to get your daily dose of the dub. comes right to your inbox. You don't even have to look for it. Uh, but let's get to my guest, Pete Labardius, longtime broadcaster, spent a lot of time uh, around the WHL and uh, probably still follows it with as much passion as I, I know that he has. Uh, Pete, great to talk to you again. How are you? I am uh, I'm just fine. I'm just fine. Well, I appreciate you making time today. I, I know uh, these are strange days uh, for sure. I know you're back in Toronto now with uh, uh, with your family, and um, I saw you yesterday on Rod Peterson's show. As you and I are talking, it's it's Wednesday, and uh, really great uh, messages, and it was great to, to hear what you had to say yesterday. But uh, how are things where you are? Well, you know, it's, it's A, it's good to be back um, here and with people you love and care about. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, like everybody else, just trying to, you know, get through it. It's it's a day-to-day situation for everybody. I think the unknown is, is very difficult and can weigh pretty heavily. But, um, you know, for me, Guy, in a really odd way of kind of going about my business with a job that I have in Calgary, I have a son who is in Edmonton, and, you know, the rest of my life is in Ontario. So, um, normalcy is not exactly the order of the day in my world necessarily in comparison to everybody else. So, mm-hmm. um, I just more than ever just, you know, probably enjoy maybe even a little bit more so than others when I have a chance to be back and, and spend time with, with loved ones, because in my world for eight months of the year, I'm away from them a lot. So, at least in the early going, I, I'm just I'm just taking that those opportunities to to just enjoy being back and, and spending time with people that I'd sure love to see more during the course of an eight month or nine month hockey season. Well, and I don't know about you, but I think at this time in situations like this, which are I mean I've never gone through anything like this in my lifetime, and I don't think a lot of us have, but no. a little distraction from reality might be a good thing. And I thought maybe that's how, what I would do with the pipeline show here for the foreseeable future is maybe get away from reality a bit. And uh, so I was uh, making a short list of, of people that I wanted to get on the show <laughs> who I just enjoy chatting with. Uh, and you were right at the top of that list, uh, Lou. So um, well, I, I, I just, appreciate that. Well, it's, it's always a treat when I, when I get you on the show and we can just talk for uh, a long time, uh, it seems like. So, uh, but first I, I wanted to, to get to know a little bit more about your own backstory, and I know you're a Saskatchewan kid, aren't you? I am. I'm from Saskatoon. Saskatoon. So when when did you kind of get into uh, feeling like broadcasting was a uh, a pursuit you wanted to uh, to go after? You know, I've told this story a few times, but it it happened really young. I was literally six or seven years old, and um, as much as broadcasting then, which was always an incredible interest of mine. I just knew very, very early that I had an incredible passion and love affair for sports and that if there was any possible way that I could end up, you know, working in sports as my career, that that was my aim from a very young age. Like many of us, I was a, I was an okay hockey player when I was a little guy. And like many of us, it starts to catch up to you after a pretty good start, which I had. 
um, pretty good little player up until I was about 14 and then everything caught up with me. But, um, yeah, that's, that's where it all started. Um, I loved it. I loved watching it. I loved playing it, um, all different types of sports. And yeah, I, I was lucky in that respect that at a very young age, I had an incredible passion and, and thought about being a broadcaster. Then, along with my uh, childhood friend, Ray Morrison, when we were 13 years of age, Ray's been a long, long time radio broadcaster in Saskatoon. At the age of 13, he and I and a group in Saskatoon on Telecable 10 <laughs> did our first ever live sports broadcast of about four or five uh, high school football games. Nice. And, and that, was, that was the first start. Until, you know, I saved the few pennies that I had at the end of high school and went to the Western Academy of Broadcasting early in 1984 and started my radio and television career in the middle of July in that year in Estevan, Saskatchewan. Well, that's outstanding. Was it always hockey that you wanted to do? You, you said the first little no, bit was, not, was football. No, no, no. I just honestly, to this day, and it's a bit of a misnomer sometimes, right? When you're cast and, you know, we end up specializing as as we can do um, in, in one sport. Now, is hockey my number one love as far as sports? Yes, for sure it is. But um, I love... I love all sports. I love all team sports in particular. That's my great, great passion. So, no, I never necessarily, um, you know, thought that everything would be directed towards hockey. But I would say this, um, you know, my hockey bug started, according to my mom, um, on Saturday nights, apparently, when I was one and it just barely learned to walk. Hockey Night in Canada would come on, and, you know, I have not a lot of reason not to believe her, that apparently Saturday nights, and a lot of them would be spent at my grandparents' house, that the minute hockey would come on, I was frozen. <laughs> like, I didn't move, apparently. And she said with most kids, they'd go towards the commercials and forget about everything else. Well, I, I was the opposite, and... At the age of three, my parents started to take me to Saskatoon Blades games in the old Saskatoon arena. Mm -hmm. And same type of story. Uh, apparently, even at three and four, I, I don't remember my first game until I was five. Um, but apparently just would sit there and would not move. And people in the stands would just be absolutely somewhat amazed that here's this young kid who's focused and doesn't move and just seems to love it. So I can't really explain it, but that's, that's where it really all began. That's where my love for the Western league and, and passion in so many ways for hockey began, whether obviously started on television, but then going to the Saskatoon arena and from the time of five, until I left for Estevan, and especially in my teenage years, my friend, I did not miss a lot of Saskatoon Blade games outside of when I was playing myself mm -hmm. or involved in, in other things. So, you know, I say to many people, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, that in so many different ways and, you know, some other situations came up in my world that the Western Hockey League to this day is 
been way more to me than just the league. It's it's really felt in many ways like family. And um, you know, my one of my one of my true goals was to call one game in the Western Hockey League. Mm. One game. And funny story is the team that I absolutely despised growing up in Saskatoon was the Regina Pats. Of course. Well, guess who the voice of which Western <laughs> Hockey League team I was starting in the 1989-90 season after four years as the voice of the Estevan Bruins of the Saskatchewan Junior League, the Regina Pats. So that's, uh, that's a little small synopsis of how it all kind of got going. Oh, that's poetic. Uh, when you were a player uh, playing minor hockey, what, uh, what position did you play? Uh, center and right wing. Oh, okay. I, I noticed there's a lot of goaltenders who eventually go on to be broadcasters, whether it's you know NHL goalies or whatnot. And yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that's the case for yeah, goalies? You know, Kelly Rudy and uh, Healy and uh, yeah, Greg you know, Miller. Yeah, in all sincerity, it's funny. I was in this conversation with somebody a couple of months ago, and, you know, I've I've worked with John Garrett and obviously around Kelly Rudy and, and lots of, mm-hmm. you know, players throughout my career. And honestly, I, I think a big part of it is they have the best seat in the house. Yeah. You know, everything somewhat like a catcher in baseball everything really unfolds around them and you know they get to see absolutely all of it in some ways they get to direct what goes on in terms of what happens in their own end of the rink so yeah i've I've always felt that that's probably one of the reasons that we've seen a number of goalies although you know that's changing um that would be my response to why I think, you know, goalies have somewhat uh, found themselves in yeah. those kind of positions. Peter Lombardius, longtime broadcaster, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're just uh, shooting the shit for a little while and uh, try to uh, get a little distance from reality for uh, a short while. Um, now, I grew up in northeastern Alberta, uh, Cold Lake. I don't know if you know where Cold Lake yeah, is. Yeah, I sure do. A long way from a WHL city at that time, so uh, mm-hmm. I think Saskatoon probably would have been the closest. But might I, have been, yeah. I never actually saw a WHL game until the early 2000s wow. in, in my adult years. Uh, but wow, yeah. Now, when you got to uh, Estevan, uh, that was uh, yeah. uh, radio, I'm guessing. Radio, yeah, yeah. CASL radio at the time. Mm-hmm. You you've done both radio and TV. Do you have a preference? They're different, aren't they? They're incredibly different. Um, and now it's so much different with the evolution of, you know, including the station I work for, the Fan 960 in Calgary, all talk sports radio, which, you know, seems in some ways to us like it's been around forever, but it hasn't. Um, you know, I can't tell you that I necessarily have a preference. Um, you know, that there's a lot of things that I really, really like about both. I love the immediacy of radio. I like in a sense that, you know, in radio, if, you know, you're, especially when you're doing play by play in color, which I've done both, um, you know, it's really up to you to kind of paint the picture. And I think that's awesome. Um, The TV side, I really loved in the sense that, you know, somewhat like my love of sports, it takes an immense amount of talented 
people to put on a good TV show. So, you know, there's, there's far more in a sense teamwork required. Um, not to say, as you know, as you know, doing the job that I do yourself, um, with the oil Kings, you know, teamwork is really important and chemistry in every way. And I think that's in every way in life, you know, teamwork is really, really important, but, you know, the neat thing, especially after all the things that I've just been so lucky to do, um, you know, I, I like the TV side of it because people don't always realize the amount of people, talented people, and what goes into, you know, making a live production and a sporting television event to be just that, an event. And frankly, um, you know, with no disrespect to any of us, when I go into a truck and watch what goes on in there and see what has to get done and processed and directed and switched and, you know, the incredible replay people, and I've been lucky enough, you know, in my time at Sportsnet Television for 11 or 12 years to work with, you know, the best of the best on the planet. So, you know, in some ways, I feel bad for the fact that those incredibly gifted people who make such a difference that, you know, people don't even know who they are or have any idea what they do. So I love both. Um, been fortunate now to do a lot of both. And, and there's great things to, you know, both mediums. I can't imagine what uh, what TV broadcasting is like for, for games. I know when I'm doing Oil King games uh, and uh, the prep work that goes into it, whatever little tidbits I have is stuff that I've put together doing prep work before the game. I get there, and, and whether it's Andrew Peart or Corey Graham, whoever I'm doing the games with, sometimes uh, Cam Moon, whatever they have, little tidbits and stuff that we can insert into the, the broadcast, that's what we have. For TV, do you guys have people who are feeding you information during the game as well? Um, yes and no. But but your preparation and how you go about your business is still very much on you. Um, you know, when you're doing a television broadcast, and depending on what type of television broadcast you have, because, you know, there's there's so much more to a television broadcast, whether it's graphics or you know, replays, there's just so much that goes hand in hand, but actual, actual information, Guy, no, it's, it's really not any, it's not a whole lot different outside of because on television, um, you know, you'll have stats people, especially on network television shows. That's not always the case, you know, the years, and I miss it greatly that I did junior hockey on Shaw television, you know, we didn't have a statistician or, um, so you certainly could never do graphics or any of the extra information, but the stuff by and large that you present that comes out of your own mouth, um, no, at least not in my experience, so much of it is certainly orchestrated and done by yourself. I mean, I've never really had anybody, whether I was doing the Olympic games in 2010 in Vancouver, um, you know, all the gifted, talented people, the extras that they were able to add was a big, big difference. But it really never to this day, I don't, you know, it's it's funny and a different topic maybe for a different time and a different show, but even in making the transition from, you know, primarily being a play-by-play guy to doing color, 
Um, I'm still to this day playing around and, and trying to determine how to properly prepare a little differently and better for that role. But I, I don't, you know, it's funny, even the book that I use, which is still handwritten, I don't get ready much different in 2020 than I, than I did October of 1985 when I called my first ever hockey game on the radio. That's amazing. Uh, Peter Lombardius, yeah. my guest. Um, now, how long were you the play-by-play guy in Regina for the Pats? In Regina, basically four and a half years. Four and a half years. And that yeah. started, uh, when did you say, 85? 89. No, oh, 89. I was started, I was in Estevan from 85 through 88. Right. Um, and then worked for one year at CKCK in Regina just doing sports before we got the rights to the Pats, which was in 1989-90. And then I was there for four and a half years before I got into television in Saskatoon in 1993. Okay. Now, when you're a young broadcaster and you're trying to hone your craft and your skills, are are do you take influence from broadcasters that you grew up listening to, or do you do you try not to sound like anybody? You want to sound like yourself? Uh, how do you how did you go about it? I've I've had one notion in my entire livelihood with everything, and that is I always try to learn from people who are better at things than I am, and and so. You know, certainly not unlike anybody else. I had my favorites growing up in in all different sports avenues, both in our country and, you know, in the United States. So I never really tried to own my craft after anybody in particular. Um, But, you know, the, the one thing that I had always hoped was, Passion and knowledge, I always felt, were two strengths of mine, and that I would try my best, you know, to convey those in every single broadcast, you know, in anything I've tried to do. That that was the template for me, and it started very early in terms of the amount of preparation I would put into games, and and I just you know, those were the two things. And to this day, it's funny, um, you know, whether it was yesterday on Rod's show or I, I've asked a lot of people over the last seven or eight years to to try and guide my career still going forward after 35 plus years. Hmm. You know, I think we're always trying to learn, my friend, at least I am. And in fact, I wish I would have delved into it a little sooner earlier is, you know, what do you do best? what should you be doing? But, you know, to answer your original question, that's, that's what I always set out to do. I just, I wanted, I knew what I liked in terms of, of style. And, um, you know, one person, and I have many favorites, many favorites, and still have many favorites, you know, in our business today, starting, uh, Starting really with a guy who I just think the world of, and that's Chris Cuthbert, because mm-hmm. I think, you know, I just think Chris in every way, shape, or form is an absolute credit to A, how he delivers his product, how he prepares, uh, the excitement and passion that he goes about his business with. And, you know, one of the great, great situations I found myself in was, 
getting to work around him for three weeks in Vancouver in 2010. Um, and at that point in time, my respect for him just went absolutely through the roof. But, you know, in terms of hockey and how I've always tried to do it is I just, I love people who call games, who make you feel the game. And, and that, that for me is probably the people that I like and enjoy listening to or watching the most. I'm trying to uh, picture uh, a young Pete Lombardius practicing his goal call in the mirror or something like that. Uh, because no, you know, really, no, when the no. highlight packages, that's that's everybody hears the goal call. Um, so how did you kind of uh, settle on yours, or is it just you, off you know the what? Cup? Uh, to, to be honest, it's a great subject. I never did. Really? No, I never did. And and I can you know I don't think I've ever said this before, but I will now publicly. That was one thing that was was a struggle for me. Was, was a struggle for me um, because what I always thought about um, was just tried to react as natural as I possibly could, and just like I said earlier, to feel the game and to to call it the way that I saw it or felt it. But no, of of any of the wrestling matches I've had in terms of hockey play-by-play, the goal call was one of them. You know, I I never necessarily at any point, especially, you know, more so I would say when I went from radio and then was lucky enough to get to do some stuff on network television, that, that that was the only thing that ever really concerned me was it it didn't it didn't always either get received or it, it's the one thing it's funny um that can receive a lot of criticism and you know going back and forth on that and trying to to find your way in that neighborhood was was an interesting and still to this day has been an interesting challenge for me. Maybe that was the see. Maybe that's where I missed it. Maybe as a young guy, that's what I should have been doing more of is really concentrating on, you know, getting to that point and being incredibly comfortable with that side of it. Hmm. You know, I I think you're never going to please everybody, right? And even if you no, do, well, you can't. I get criticized sometimes. Uh, well, just for doing a junior hockey show and. Some people say I talk too fast or whatever, and I, I take all of that in stride. But with a goal call, because it's on every highlight pack that's out there, there there's always going to be somebody that criticizes or doesn't like the the tone you used or whatever, uh, the cadence or whatever other terms you want to use. But if you try to cater to everybody, there's I mean, you can't please everybody all the time. So you got to just do whatever comes naturally, don't you? No, well, you do, and, and you work your way through it. And, you know, you, not unlike athletes sometimes, you know, there's, there's probably years where you feel like it's all working and, you know, you, you don't even question it. And then some other things will come up and, you know, cause if you really care about your craft, you know, so much of it, as you know, is that each and every day you, you try to do better. Nobody ever does a perfect game or a perfect show. And, and I don't, you know, You know, the other part that people don't talk about a lot is, you know, some people, 
you know, to their credit, are blessed sometimes with maybe, you know, different types of gifts. You know, I, I would say this in my own case. Um, you know, I, I came to understand very early, even in Estevan, that um, me, my style, my sound was distinct, unique, not necessarily for everyone, and came to understand very early that I probably wasn't going to be somebody that sent you an audio tape and right off the hop get great response and great reaction. You know, and I've had 35 years to get through that, um, you know, to understand that and the trials and tribulations, maybe even the amount of time. Like, you know, I don't know if I've shared this ever before, but, you know, there were times early in my career in Estevan where, you know, people would say, hey, listen, if you're in a market that size for any longer than a year, a year and a half, maybe you're never getting out. Ah. Um, you know, and I was there for four. but the great thing is I'd never trade those years ever because what I think a lot of young people in the business sometimes miss, and we all miss it in some ways because we can tend to be in such a hurry to get to the next step in the journey that you can miss out on the important parts. And I know for me personally, I'd never trade those years, never because you get to own your craft. You're in a smaller market. Um, you know, you're young, you don't have a lot of responsibility. Certainly I didn't starting at 18. Um, you know, you get to be part of a community. I moved away from home. Those four years, the people I met being the voice of the Estevan Bruins doing, you know, just countless numbers of things covering all the sports. I ended up two years in not only doing hockey in the winter for a couple of different leagues, but I did softball in the summer, the Estevan men's, you know, softball league. And, and I love softball introduced to that as a kid, as long, as well as baseball. Um, so it was just, it was a great time. I got to coach kids in softball and, and play myself baseball and softball while I was there. So um, I'd never trade it. I'd ne- and, and those, all those years of, owning your craft, finding your way, learning what works, what doesn't work. I'd never, I'd never trade it. And I'd never trade, you know, the first coach that I ever got associated with arguably to this day is my favorite one of all time, Jerry James. Um, You know, Jerry was a hard nosed CFL all-star running back. He played in the national hockey league in Detroit and Toronto uh, a character amongst all characters and could never, ever thank Jerry enough. For whatever reason, we we hit it off. And trust me when I tell you, he didn't necessarily hit it all off with all the outside media, but <laughs> he took a liking to me. He taught me so much about the game. He basically came to see me at the radio station almost every day and certainly every day that I covered the team and I'd spend time in his office and you know, I, yeah, I'd never trade. I'd never trade those times. It was just, it's awesome. And I, I look back at it so fondly. Well, from Estevan, you go to Regina. Then after that, the, I think the first time, the early times that I can remember uh, hearing or, or seeing your broadcast uh, mm-hmm. were, were Euler games. Uh, when did that start happening for you? Was that after Regina? 
Oh yeah, well after Regina. Um, so what know, came was, next then after the Pats? Oh boy, you don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. <laughs> um, you know, I started. I moved from radio play-by-play, which I loved, um, and was terrified to give up, but decided through Roger Millions, who hired me in Regina to do radio. He'd moved into TV, and he was a sports director at STV in Saskatoon, which is now global. And I thought, well, you know, this is an opportunity to grow and do something different. So I was there for four years with a quick stop in Regina and one with Darren Dreger for four months in Winnipeg. And I'd known Darren of TSN fame forever because even when I was the voice of the Pats and he wasn't yet the voice of the Brandon Wheat Kings in his early days at CKLQ, he would do my color uh-huh. when I'd go to Brandon. Um, so anyway, went there, uh, was there for the better part of four years, and then had three incredibly dynamite years doing television where Roger hired me again um, to work at CFRN Television in Edmonton. Uh-huh. And, and absolutely loved that. And in 2000, I got the call from from Sportsnet and started there. Got to call my first national television game, a junior hockey game in 2002 between Erie and the London Knights. Rick Nash is a 17-year-old member of the London Knights. And from there, started to do some, some more junior hockey. And when you would have heard me then was in another odd scenario in my career where, you know, the people at Sportsnet were appreciating how I was calling hockey and didn't have a full-time NHL role for me at the time to move into. So going along with all my junior hockey duties, which, you know, my first Memorial Cup of eight was in 2004 in Kelowna that I got to do basically between 8 and 12 Oiler games a year from 2000 and I guess would have been 2005, 2006 through 2007, 2008. Uh, I'll get to the the junior stuff with uh, yourself and Sam Cosentino in a second, but um, what was your first NHL game and just who was playing, how special that was for you to – you know, you get to the NHL. Yeah, my my first my first NHL game was actually a Montreal Canadiens game in Montreal at the Bell Center in 2004, and it was against the Edmonton Oilers. Mm. Um, yeah, it, you know, it was again, it was it was certainly a dream come true for me. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I remember so much of so many games I've either watched or called um, that one, that one was special, but it probably, you know, to be honest, I remember more about that game. I was referring you to that overtime game between Erie and London in 2002, where Carlo Koliakovo scored the overtime winner (laughs) against the London Knights in London than I actually do about my first NHL game. Wow, why do you think that is? Um, why do I think that is? Because, you know, in so many ways, my love and passion for junior hockey mm-hmm. has never, like, it's never wavered. 
And, and to have an opportunity to do, you know, a national junior game and start calling live sports again. I mean, that was, that was incredible. And, you know, one of, when people will ask through all the career that I've had, like I will never, and I always have to be careful telling the story because it's incredibly emotional for me, but, um, Guy, I remember watching every Memorial Cup final because, you know, it was all that we got, right, forever in junior hockey on television. I mean, it's not like, well, now it's changing again, unfortunately, but for a long time, I mean, we didn't get games on TV. We got the Memorial Cup final every year, and I remembered watching pretty much every one starting in 1975. Wow. And so that 2004 Sunday in Kelowna, British Columbia is one of the greatest emotional, most wonderful times. I got to the rink that day. It was a four o'clock start and I was the only one in the rink almost period at about one o'clock. And I remember looking down at the logos on the ice and thinking, you have watched every Memorial cup final since you were a little guy and today you're going to get to call that game. That to me was, as you can probably tell, I mean, it's hard for me not when I tell that story, not to get emotional because that, that was just an incredible, incredible moment in my life. Outstanding. Uh, Dean Millard and I started the Pipeline Show in uh, 2006, February of 2006, and I I don't remember the first time that we had you on, but um, you were doing games with uh, with Sam at that point, I believe. Yeah. And you and Sam always, one of my, you guys are, if I had a a, uh, Mount Rushmore of guests on the Pipeline Show, I think both of you guys would be on it because you guys are both phenomenal. I thought the chemistry that you had together on the air was exceptional as well because you can both tell stories. You both know the uh, the Canadian Hockey League inside and out. Um, I don't know what the relationship was like for you guys uh, when the microphones are off, but it certainly seemed like you guys had great chemistry. Sam is uh, Sam's one of my best friends. Um, I enjoyed our six years together doing junior hockey as much or more than anything I've ever done. Um, we, I remember us doing our first game together. It was actually an American hockey league game. And he still jokes with me to this day because I didn't know very much about him. And he joked that I, that I pierced through his eyes with some of the worst looks. Basically he always (laughs) says to me, he looked at me like, what the hell are you doing here? And, uh, but from probably game number one, meeting number one or two, um, you know, we developed an incredible partnership on the air, what I think is an incredible friendship. Um, he, he means the world to me. Um, you know, he's helped me in so many different ways with who he is and, and what he's about. And, you know, I have many things that I feel strong about, but I don't know if there's anything better in the world, Guy, than when you do something you love with somebody that you love to do it with. And I've worked with so many incredible people in my career, but, you know, really right at the top of the list is that guy. And 
um, you know, what you saw and, and I'm, it just, it makes me smile when, you know, I hear somebody like you, I respect and think highly of say those things because that chemistry was, was real. Um, it was way more than just two guys going to work and calling games together. You know, he is, he's, he's one of my absolute favorite people blessed to have him in my life. He's a big part of, of my world. And while, you know, I know for me very much so, um, you know, when I was let go at Sportsnet television in 2011, that, um, you know, to this day, one of the hard things for me has been, you know, we don't get to do that together anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm so proud of him and what he's done and how he's carried on with it. And, you know, he's, I just can't say enough about what he's done with that rule, with that position, what he's become as far as junior hockey is concerned. But yeah, I mean, I love the guy to death and I, I absolutely loved every second that we spent together doing games and, and was really, really proud of our partnership on the air and, and not hard to tell. I don't think about how I feel about the guy yeah. as a human being. Pete, I wonder, did you ever consider, I don't know actually, you know, if you have one, but do you have like a signature uh, uh, line that you like to use? I know Les Lazarus has Heidi Ho, let's go. And, and Regan has a pitter patter. Let's get at her. And, um, no, put, put not, it in the wind column, any of those types of things. No, in it? no, I never, you know, I, I have lots of, you know, what they call in Calgary Louisms, I guess, um, that they have a lot of fun playing different lines, but I never, no, no, I never, I don't really feel, you know, some kind of whatever, whatever would be, you know, some kind of save or whatever would probably be as close. Yeah, to anything that was a bit of a of of a signature one for me, but you know, no, I don't have the you know Kevin Quinn overtime winner. Or, yeah, yeah, didn't didn't ever really have one of those in particular. Well, some kind of is it does come to mind for me for with you is it, some some kind yeah. of blank whatever the fill the blank right yeah some yeah, kind yeah, of something yeah yeah yep yep. yep. That would be that would probably be as close to being mine as as any. Now you're doing uh, Flames games, well, uh, not currently, but uh, when you're doing NHL stuff, uh, how much do you get to still follow the the well the Western Hockey League specifically, but junior hockey in general? Do you have time to well, kind of stay up to date? Well, I, I you know I try as hard as I can. I you know I still go through a lot of box scores on a on a nightly basis. I think I've been. To, you know, I've been to almost every single Hitman game that I could get to when I was in town and I, you know, wasn't either visiting my son or on the road with the hockey team. So, no, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it and try my best to stay as up to date and as current as I can. It's, you know, it's very different, you know, when it used to be traveling from league to league and following it and that was your your number one focus Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i i you know i've never lost i've never lost my passion for junior hockey and what it means and um so i try my best to i i just my favorite thing um you know about hockey and really about sports key that maybe people don't always know is I I love watching the development. So 
So, you know, I'm not, what were, what were two of the last three hockey games I went to mm. before the world was shut down? Yeah. I went, I went to a Bantam AAA playoff game between the Calgary Flames and Red Deer. And that same night, I went to watch a Peewee AA playoff game in, in the city of Calgary because I'd heard about three or four of the kids um, who I hadn't had a chance to see with my own two eyes that were playing. And I was lucky enough to get a couple of periods to watch them before the season ended. So, um, you know, the one thing that I just, I've always enjoyed the most is just watching the development, you know, of, of young players and kind of following that path to see where it takes them. So I, I enjoy to this day every bit as much of, you know, going to a midget game or a Bantam game as I do, you know, going to an NHL game. Part of what I like about junior hockey compared to the NHL is how unpolished it is that there are mistakes. And to me, mistakes lead to scoring chances and that makes it exciting. And there, there are clearly players who are ahead of where other guys are on the ice, but uh, I don't know. I, I find junior hockey although it's not as crisply executed, is more entertaining for me. That's my own personal opinion. But do you see some of that too? Oh, for sure I do. Absolutely. I, uh, listen, I've been frustrated in a sense for a long time, and I'm incredibly biased about that particular level. And as I just alluded to, I love all levels of hockey, all of it, all of it. I really do. Um but the one thing about junior hockey that I think has always been why I've enjoyed it so much is just what you said, is that it, it brings incredible skill, um, never been more skillful. We could get to other parts of where the game has gone, and yeah. that's, you know, the older you get, you know, we kind of like to cling on to some of the things that I miss about the 70s and 80s and even 90s. Um, but the skill level that they play with, and because it's like you said, their lack of experience, they're not as polished, they do make mistakes. And mistakes is exactly what you said. It's what leads to excitement and scoring chances and all of the above. That, that's, that's why I think it is one of truly the greatest levels because you know, you have these young people who are on the precipice in a lot of different cases of, you know, playing at the absolute highest level. So you get all that skill, but they're not refined and they're not, it was a great word that you used, polished. And, you know, it's, it's also why, you know, to me, and you've been to a number of them now, you know, that's why I, I love the world junior so much mm -hmm. because there's so much passion, there's so much skill, and you can let a three one third period lead slip away as the Russians did this year. Or, you know, not to completely show my homerism, which I go by easily and will never apologize for loving and cheering for my country in all sports. But it's the same thing that happened in Buffalo in 2011 when Canada took a 3 nothing lead into the third period and gave away five to the Russians when Tarasenko and company came back to win 5-3. to three. So, yeah, that, that is part of its greatest aspects. And, you know, the, the other part of it is, and it's changed, and it's changed a lot, 
But, you know, the one thing that I have no trouble sharing is being involved in junior hockey and around it for as long as I have. And, and not that we want to get back to the times of today, but what, what I always have come to learn with every passing year of my life is it's, it's not about the games, it's about people. And one of the reasons I love junior hockey so much is because of all the people that I've met and dealt with and all the relationships and all the learning that so, so much is tied to junior hockey. I remember uh, going back to uh, 2014, the year the uh, Oil Kings won the Memorial Cup in, in London. Uh, and just a, a human story that kind of what you're talking about, that was the year Christian's Pelch, uh, the summer before he had yes. passed away. And the Oil Kings had basically dedicated that season in his memory. And of course, storybook ending, they win and they're on the ice and they're, they have the Pelch jersey, uh, in all the pictures and stuff like that. Well, uh, I actually got to travel with the team because I was doing color that year. That was the first yeah. year I got to do color. So I was on the bus. Pretty good start. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Uh, but on the bus, uh, after the game, going back to the hotel, um, Eddie Kolda was on the Oil Kings team that year, yeah. MVP, and had received a text from Christian Pelsch's father. And he got up and read it out loud to everybody on the bus that it was basically just – uh, thank you for always remembering my son and how much it meant to him and his family. And it was th- that sort of human story that doesn't get publicized all that much. And I really, that what you were just talking about, it, the human connection, that just really resonated with me. And uh, that that story immediately came to mind. It's it's stuff like that that makes it special. It, it is. It really is. You know, we all get so caught up a lot in, in the games and the exciting times, and they are incredibly exciting. And I know I, I wouldn't trade any of it. You know, the, the ups, the downs, the, the in-betweens, those types of great stories that, you know, you just told and, and all of the great stories, too, that I've seen. But, you know, it's funny. This, people can have incredible impact on you in a, in a hurry, whether we were talking about Sam, but um, I had the great fortune of calling the America's Olympic women's softball qualifying tournament this past summer in Surrey, British Columbia. And I did it um, in part with uh, a lady by the name of Lauren Bay Regula, who was one of Canada's best ever pitchers in softball and, her brother is Jason Bay, who you might remember from major league days and was a heck of a player. And we had, forget about just calling the softball together. We had so many great conversations about parenting and life. And, you know, it was such a special 10 days to go through. Um, and I have a lot of roots in the softball world going back to working with a senior ladies team when I was a teenager in Saskatoon. but she looked at me and she said at one point during one of those conversations, she said in life, we cannot outperform connection. Hmm. And that line will forever resonate with me. Uh, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, when you look uh, over your career, are there some stops along the way or individual games or, or tournaments? Maybe I, that, uh, 
you know, you could consider career highlights, even maybe not your performance, but being at and, and having the, the ability to share that experience. I mentioned the Memorial Cup in 2014 yeah. for me. Maybe the, 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 the WHL championship that year against Portland, game, winning game seven, the Oil Kings in Portland may have even been a bigger moment actually for, than the Memorial Cup win itself. But, um, being at the 2016 uh, yeah. World Junior in Helsinki and Finland winning against Russia in overtime in Helsinki, that certainly stands out for me. Do you have some moments like that too? Uh, from my own career or just my yeah. own life? Yeah, well, either. Both? Yeah. Both? Either? Well, I, I, I talked about the experience of calling the Memorial Cup final in 2004. Yeah. And then I broadcast eight of them before that time came to an end. So that was just, those were incredibly, incredibly special times and highlights. Um, having a chance to call eight of the 30 men's games at the 2010 Winter Olympics was, you know, that was, an absolute dream come true through and through as a, a very much international sports lover and um, greatest ever sports day was is easy. It's February 24th, 2002. And at some point I could tell you the whole story, but you know, I, I basically had three things in life that I wanted to see come true. I wanted to see Canada win an Olympic hockey gold medal, the Minnesota Vikings win a Super Bowl, and 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 having a child. Well, two of the three have come true. Um, but February 24th, 2002, with um, my friend Abe, nearly 50 years now, uh, made our way. We got tickets thanks to a guy that you know well, Corey Blashill in Edmonton, because he was doing camera work, and somehow he got his hands on a couple of tickets that um, we paid, I think, 775 Canadian for at the E-Center. Um, the greatest day, arguably, of my entire life. To be in that rink, Canada wins its first Olympic hockey gold medal in 50 years to do it with my friend. Um, we we're in the second row of the upper deck and basically in Salt Lake City, which was, you know, a building of 7,500, um, shed more tears than I could ever tell you. <laughs> it, it just, it was the, I can't imagine you know, outside of the birth of my little guy, and it was very different. But, you know, those are the two greatest days I've had on planet Earth to this point in time. What's left on the uh, the broadcasting bucket list for you? What's left? Only one thing. Only one thing. I'd always have wanted to call one Canadian World Junior game. Hmm. And I don't know if that, my guess is that one probably is uh, not likely to occur. The closest I ever was, was in Orlando, Sweden, leading up to the 2004 World Junior Championships in Helsinki. And that was the one where uh, we uh, saw a 3-1 lead slip away and Marc-Andre Fleury bounced the puck off Braden Coburn's back and in. Um, which was, uh, yeah, that 
that's right up there in terms of one of my least favorite uh, sporting <laughs> moments in terms of heartbreaking losses. Yeah. Uh, but I called a pre-tournament game um, between Canada and Sweden right before the start of that tournament. And then another, while we're on the topic, I guess the closest I ever truly got was in the year 2007, they held a Canada-Russia Junior Super Series, which I had an opportunity to do the play-by-play for all eight of those games, right. four games over in, in Russia, in Omsk, and Ufa, and then came back to play four games in our country, in Winnipeg, Red Deer. Saskatoon, Red Deer, and Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, broadcasting highlights would be in so many ways that series, the Olympic Games and, you know, the Memorial Cup run. Well, Pete, I could, uh, I could chat all day, but we've, uh, we're coming up to an hour. So longer than I, uh, told you that I'd uh, track you down for, but, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for taking the time today and, uh, best of, best of, uh, best of luck. (laughs) That sounds really clunky to say, but, uh, certainly mean it. No, and right back at you. And thanks for, uh, providing an opportunity to share my story. Excellent. Thanks, Pete. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, Keith. Be well. That is uh, Peter Labardius, longtime broadcaster. You can hear him uh, doing a color on uh, Calgary Flames games, but uh, I, he's just a uh, he's a great guy, uh, always uh, a great guest for sure, uh, and uh, I'm happy to be able to call him uh, my friend. Really, really enjoyed that conversation, and looking forward to having more of those types of conversations with uh, guests over the next few, well, God knows how long this is going to last, but if there's somebody like that that you would like to hear from, I get a little bit of background on them, have a bit more of just a a conversation on a personal level. Uh, Let me know, and I'll see what I can do. Up next, though, a 2020 draft spotlight, one of the top-ranked defensemen in the entire class of 2020. His name is Jake Sanderson of the U.S. National Development Program. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, this is Jack Rosovic from the U18 national team. Clayton Keller. Hey, this is J.C. Comfer. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. Hi, I'm Hudson Fashing. Hi, it's Brady Shea. Hey, this is John Gibson from Team USA. This is Jordan Greenway. This is Matias Samuelson. Hey, this is Sonny Milano from the US NTDP. This is Oliver Wallstrom. Hi, this is Alex Tuck. This is Ryan Lindgren. Hi, I'm Steven Santini, and I play for the U18 national team. How's it going? Kate Fitzgerald with the national team. Hey, it's Austin Matthews. Hi, this is Jacob Truba from the USA Under-18 National Team Development Program, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment. For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Just do it! Welcome back to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We are going to have a uh, 2020 draft spotlight segment. It's an also also an NCAA campus re- report segment as my uh, guest. Draft eligible this year, but is headed 
the college route. Of course, all the college uh, campus report segments are brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and they are looking to uh, explore all of their avenues, you need to know what they can and can't do to maintain their NCAA eligibility. Uh, give College Hockey, Inc. A, a, a try. You can look at their website. You can get in contact with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and they will uh, help steer you in the right direction as well. My guest today comes from uh, Team USA, the U.S. National Development Program out of uh, Plymouth, Michigan. His name is Jake Sanderson, uh, one of the top defensemen available this year. Jake, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. I know uh, these are uh, awfully weird and strange days uh, with everything basically on hold now. Uh, Where are you these days? You're not in Michigan anymore. No, I left Michigan a couple of days ago, and I'm in Whitefish, Montana, right now. Now, now is that home? Because for uh, the uh, listeners' benefit, you're Jeff Sanderson's son. You were born in what 2002, in the middle of his four years with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, were you born out there? I know you're born in the summer. So, uh, were you guys at in Montana at that time? Uh, what do you call home? Uh, yes, I was born in Whitefish here, and. We've kind of always had like a summer cabin and we come back here in the summers and sometimes in, in the winters, but I'd probably say Calgary, Alberta is my home just because like my family like currently lives up there and my younger brother goes to school up there. Okay. Well, interesting. Uh, I mean, very, uh, very dual citizen. A lot of guys just kind of, it's uh, on, on paper only, but uh, for you, you do spend a lot of time in Canada. Heck, you have a Canadian uh, uh phone number as well that we're using right now so <laughs> yeah that's interesting as well you go back and forth a lot then yeah i do go back and forth a lot especially when i was younger like like i said during the summertime and even like spring breaks and uh, christmas time yeah and, and you played in calgary as, as a kid growing up uh, a little bit uh, i know I, the sh- um, website i'm looking at elite prospects only goes back uh, a few years, but your Bantam years, you were in Calgary. Did you spend a lot of time? I, I know your dad's final NHL season was up here in Edmonton. Um, so did you spend a lot of time in Alberta after that? Uh, yeah, so I think I was around like 12, 11 or 12 living in Whitefish, and then we moved up to Calgary because my dad, he like scouted for the Islanders for a bit okay. and did player, de- uh, player development with them. So it was just like easier travel. So I moved up to Calgary and our family's been in Calgary ever since then. Do you feel very, very dual citizen? I, I go back to that again because I, I, I mentioned I talked to a lot of players who have dual citizen, but a lot of times they, you know, very much feel uh, one nationality more than the other. But getting the picture that uh, you you have uh, pretty strong ties to both countries. Yeah, I do. I I guess you could say I'm probably a little bit more American right now, just playing for the U.S. team, but. I know I have I have family in both countries, so was that an easy decision for you to make uh, to play for the U.S. Because uh, now at, at the age you're at, I mean, yes, we know what's happened with the World U18s this year, but um, I guess there's still time you could uh, change back and, and play for for Canada. But uh, once you get the U18s done, and and now um, hockey wise, you are uh, American. Was it an easy choice for you? Because I, I'm sure you had options both ways. Yeah. Um... It, it was an easy decision, like, hockey-wise and, like, playing here. But, like, the hard decision was, like, moving away from family at a young age and especially Michigan being pretty far away from Calgary. Yeah, and, and the WHL team that had drafted you at that point was uh, the Kootenai Ice, uh, now in Winnipeg. And, uh, boy, they've, they've uh, drafted a lot of players. Uh, if everybody had showed up for uh, the Winnipeg Ice, they'd have a pretty good team. But 
for, for you. Yeah. What, was that was the WHL a, a consideration for you? I know your dad uh, played in the uh, with the Swift Current Broncos when he was your your age, but uh, for you, was it a, a consideration, or did you always know you were going the college route? Um, when I was younger, I wanted to play in the Western League, but my parents um, both really wanted me to play college, and they just like just said to keep keep uh, like be patient and stuff and wait until something like opens up. And then I started as I got older, I started talking to a couple of colleges. Jake Sanderson is my guest defenseman with uh, Team USA, eligible for the 2020 draft, and uh, again one of the top defensemen. Uh, ranked by Central Scouting and various other uh, scouting agencies out there as well. Uh, I mentioned North Dakota, the, and uh, Elite Prospects uh, has you listed as going in 2021-22. Uh, I know things are really weird right now, but assuming for a second uh, everything gets back to normal here for the fall, where will you be next year? Do you, can you get to North Dakota for next year, or uh, is there a season in between where uh, you'll be with somebody else? Um, yeah, I'm going into North Dakota next year. Um, I'm accelerating my like learning at school, and I'm doing like summer classes so I can graduate early and play at okay. North Dakota next year. Very good. Why North Dakota? Uh, I, it seems like a, a silly question for anybody who's had the chance to go to Grand Forks and, and uh, go into the Ralph, and obviously it's a pretty storied program, produced a lot of NHL talent. But why specifically uh, for you was that the right fit? Um, yeah, like you said, the facilities are unbelievable and i think just like they give you all the tools and stuff to go to the next level and you just have to put in the work and i also found like the coaching staff very attractive like because they were like i don't know they've developed um defensemen really well and they were like north dakota was the first team to show interest in me and i don't know i just i thought their sincerity and loyalty was really cool and i love that and you said you were going uh, intending to go this coming season, so that's uh, something for Fighting Sioux or Fighting Hawks uh, fans uh, to uh, look forward to for sure. Um, Jake, tell me about this season with the program. Uh, obviously, you get to play as a 17-year-old, and now this year as well, getting to play with the same guys for a couple of years like that, growing together. It's got to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I love the uh, NTDP is a great spot, especially if you want to develop and play in the NHL one day, and I think like I said, with North Dakota, they give you all the tools and stuff. You just have to put in the work. And going through, like, so much adversity with the guys that we were there with and throughout the two years, I think we kind of, like, we got really tight and stuff. And it kind of, like, showed with our, I don't know, our results this year as we had a pretty strong season. Uh, and for yourself on a personal level, 29 points in, in 47 games uh, this year with the, uh, the U18 squad. Uh, did you consider yourself, or did you expect to have offensive numbers like that? Have you? I mean, looking back at your your stats over the years, there's always been offensive production. So, was this pretty much what you were expecting? Um, yeah, I definitely wanted to jump off the page in the offensive side a bit more this year because last year was pretty tough to produce offense, especially in the USHL and like being younger and just getting used to it. But mm-hmm. definitely um, at the U18 years. I wouldn't say easier, but like just more comfortable and confident. And obviously with our, our whole team being better, that helped my individual stats as well. For those of us who haven't had a chance to watch you play, can you give us a, a self-scouting report, what we would, what we should expect to see from Jake Sanderson when we get to watch? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm a smooth skating defenseman. Um, I can I, I close gaps pretty quickly on my opponent, and I'm good at like taking rushes against and I don't jump in the play after and translate my offense. 
Well, skating certainly not a surprise to hear you say that. That was something your dad was always really well known for, for sure. Now, he being a a, a fast forward, uh, you're a defenseman. Were you always a defenseman as a kid growing up? Um, I played a bit of both when I was younger, and I played a bit of like forward and spring hockey, like during the Pee Wee and Bantam years. But as like as I kept like moving up levels, you had to like try out for a team, and you had to like choose a position. So. Right. I, I always kind of like gravitated toward defense, just like with the backward skating, and I like you know, seeing the whole play and seeing it pan out and stuff. Well, it certainly uh, worked out for you uh, to this point. Um, before you get to the next level, what sort of areas of your game are you still trying to fine tune? And you know, a lot of guys would say get bigger and stronger and all of that. But anything technically about your game that you think uh, needs attention the most? Um, I mean, like you said, obviously you need strength in every level you move up, but I don't know. I think you can always in, improve your strengths too. Like I think uh, my skating is a strength, and I don't know. I'm always working to improve that because as you like move up the levels, it gets faster and faster, and you know, skating and shot and accuracy and stuff like that. Growing up with an NHL father, was that an advantage for you? Um, maybe a little bit, I guess. But I know he's not playing the game for me. I have to play it for myself. But he definitely has like. He can give me tips and stuff, and we can talk. And I don't know, I train with him a bit. He gives me like some drills to do on the ice and stuff. Uh, now, in his last few years in the NHL, you moved around a lot, and I know you were very young at the time. But Columbus and Phoenix and Philly, and up here in Edmonton, and as you mentioned, down to Calgary, uh, working with the Islanders. But do you do you remember any of those stops along the way? Anything stand out? Um, I remember living in Phoenix and Edmonton for a bit and going in the locker room and stuff. It was pretty cool. And I remember Phoenix, especially just because like the warm weather and stuff. I'm not really used to that. Sure. Well, and up here in Edmonton, I guess you would have been fairly comfortable then. Yeah. (laughs) Did you have a favorite team growing up? I mean, obviously the answer would be whatever team your dad was playing for, but I mean, he was done. You would have been what about six or seven, maybe. Uh, Yeah, I think it was, yeah, I might've been like six or seven. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, so I mean, um, in, in Montana, you don't have a, an NHL team right there, but ties to Calgary was, I don't know, did you gravitate to the Flames or something? Uh, I do like the Flames just because it's like my hometown and stuff. But I also liked um, the LA Kings just because Drew Doughty played for them, and he's he's still a big like role model for me, and I like watching him play. Right. Uh, I should ask you about the the, uh, the NHL draft. Is it something that you're – you spend much time thinking about maybe these days it's, you know, what's happening with the draft. But uh, during the course of the season, did you try to avoid thinking about it uh, so it's not a distraction? Or were you one of the guys that likes to see where you're ranked and kind of use that as motivation? Um, I don't really, I don't, I think I like a bit of both of that, I guess. You could say, like, I do think about it a lot and, like, every day, and I use that as motivation. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't need to look at the rankings and stuff for motivation. I kind of just like steer clear from that and just like focus on what I need to do every day. Well, and when I say everybody basically has you listed as a uh, you know a, a first rounder for sure, and maybe in the higher end of the first round, the the first half, does that does that flatter you? Do you I mean, there's no pressure, no question. You're if you're going to get drafted, it's just a matter of when. Does it matter when for you? Um. I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, obviously it wouldn't matter when just getting drafted would, would be a dream and it still is. But I think as I got like more confident this year and with like the level I can play at, I think when is a bit important for me 
as like as the year went on. So yeah. Mm. Uh, with the U18s getting wiped out, um, uh, obviously disappointing that you don't. Uh, it's kind of the Stanley Cup for the uh, the U.S. Uh, national team. Uh, you get to play a couple of years with the program and, and finish things off with the U18. So I imagine there was a lot of disappointment with uh, the announcement that that was getting scrapped. Yeah, that was that was heartbreaking news for everybody in the at the NTDP and especially our team, just because we've worked so hard for for that tournament for two years straight, and we put in so much work and like so much adversity has gone through our team and stuff, but it's not something we can't control. So I don't know. We just got to like get past it, I guess. And a lot of that going on right now, who knows what's happening with the combine and the draft itself, all of those things. So what are you doing right now? Is there part of you that's like, well, I guess I'll just put my feet up and, and wait and see what happens. Or are you training and stuff every day going on? Like who knows things could get back to normal right away. Yeah, I am training every day and stuff just in case things do get back to normal. Um, but yeah, about like I hope the draft and combine don't get postponed. That'd be heartbreaking too. Yeah, and, and who knows? Maybe they it's a you know a phone call draft, or instead of everybody getting into a going to Montreal and sitting in the rink together, it's it's all done by phone. That'd be disappointing to some degree, but at least it, the, the event would still go on. Yeah. All right, well, Jake, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, certainly wish you the best uh, moving forward, and uh, and hopefully everything gets sorted out. Uh, good luck at North Dakota uh, and whatever happens with the draft. But uh, I really appreciate your time today. All right, thank you so much for having me on. There you have Jake Sanderson from uh, Team USA's U18 squad, and uh, quite the year that he had, and one of the uh, top-ranked a defenseman in the entire class of 2020. That was the uh, draft spotlight, also the NCAA uh, campus report for this week's episode. All right, one more segment to go. It's, it could be another campus report, as uh, my guest is, I guess, officially no longer a collegiate athlete, but uh, just wrapped up four years at Arizona State and about to turn pro. We'll let him uh, give you the details on that. That's coming up next. Brinson Pashnak from the Arizona State Sun Devils to close out this week's episode next. Pashnak with a fake shot, and he goes the other way, spinning a couple more spins, two or three of them. Princeton Pashnik. Pashnik with a shot. He scores! Far down! Princeton Pashnik! Are you serious? Hey, it's Princeton Pashnik from the Arizona State Sun Devils, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA Hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And here he is, having the time of his life. We're back on the Pipeline Show. One more segment to go in this week's uh, episode, and it's a uh, campus report uh, brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family that's uh, looking to go the college route, you need to know what you can and what you can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility. Well, College Hockey, Inc. is a, a great resource for that. You can get in touch with Nate Ewell or uh, Mike Snee over there, and they'll help you uh, steer in the right direction and uh, answer any questions 
that you might have. Uh, my next guest is a player who uh, went down south. He's from Alberta, and uh, he's been on the show a few times in the past, but uh, great to talk once again with uh, Brinson Pashnuk from the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh, Brinson, welcome back to the program. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Strange times, though, eh? Certainly uh, the way things yeah, are, are going right now, but uh, you're you're hunkered down at home with uh, with your family? Yeah, yeah, me and uh, me and the wife are just chilling in our apartment watching some Netflix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's uh, maybe have a, a bit of a distraction from reality for a, a few minutes and talk uh, some hockey and then, uh, maybe your career at Arizona State, which really unfortunately ends in a very peculiar and I'm sure sad way for for you. But uh, you look back at your four years uh, with the Sun Devils. Could you have imagined it to going any better than it did? Yeah, honestly, not at all. It's been the best four years of my life, and I couldn't have scripted it any better apart from uh end of the season this year. But yeah, um, it sucks and it's heartbreaking. But you just gotta, you just gotta realize that everyone's going through it. Everyone's, everyone's hurting right now. But no, my time here has been uh, just an absolute blessing from God, and um, yeah, I'll, I'll forever be grateful to be a Sun Devil for life, to say the least. From a you know from a hockey standpoint, look back five years ago, you were still up here with the Pontiacs, uh, and looking forward to your NCAA career. I don't know what your expectations were then of what it would be like, and now that it's done, what surprised you? Maybe what uh, did it live up to your expectations? Oh, it hundred percent lived up to my expectations. I mean, it, it's hard to compare the two because before you come, you come here, you you know what to expect, but you don't really know what to expect. So coming in here, I mean, uh, what really drew me to Arizona State was we get to come in and um, build a program and build a culture, and mm-hmm. uh, we achieve that here. We have a we have a great culture here, and you know the team is, is brothers. We're more than just uh, a team or a family. Um, but I don't think I don't think you can ever put um, the feeling of making the tournament and going to a national uh, championship tournament in the perspective until you actually lived through it so last year was absolutely incredible it was so cool playing the tournament um and this year we were we were really hopeful to you know go to the frozen four and hopefully have a chance at a national championship um but that came to an abrupt end but um that's life and and it goes like that sometimes but no my four years here have been absolutely incredible and it it lived up to every single expectation and surpassed every single one by far you know, any programs that come after Arizona State and they join Division One, they're going to be looking to your program and try to figure out, okay, what's the keys to success? Because, as you mentioned, you get to the tournament last year in just the fourth year of the program being in Division One, and uh, you were uh, looking really good again this season. What do you think, from your perspective, uh, why do you think the Sun Devils had that much success so quickly? Yeah, honestly, I think it's, um, it can honestly be pretty simple, and I think it's because we had – the absolute right group of guys here, um, especially in the last two years. Uh, you know, we weren't the most skilled guys. We weren't uh, top NHL prospects, um, but we we show up to the rink every day and we would go to war for each other. And um, we were just all a very tight knit group. And like I said, we were family. Um, there there was so many tears shed when we lost uh, last year and when this this happened this year. And I think that just shows how much how much we just truly care about each other. And I've always said it, that we're by far the 
the closest group in college hockey. So I think that's the, the biggest secret right there. You think because of, you know, circumstances for the program, a little bit different than what everybody else has. I'm sure every program has their uniqueness about them, but uh, being yeah. the only team way out where you guys are geographically and uh, having to travel so far and, uh, and being not in a conference, all that sort of stuff is, is unique to your program. And you got a lot of Canadians down there as well, uh, the guys that you maybe played with or played against in the AJHL and some other guys from across Canada. All of those types of things all come together. Do you think that plays some sort of role in that bond that you guys seem to have? Yeah, for sure it does. I think it's, I mean, everywhere you go to college, you're going to have guys that uh, had to move across the country, um, across the world. But I think just that dynamic we had in our team where, um, you know, this is our new home and the guys in the locker room are really your brothers because some of us are from different countries, some of us from different continents. So I think it definitely played, um, just a, you know, a really cool role in, in this program and will continue to because, like I said, like you just, um, you fall in love with the team and uh, all you want to do is be around each other. And um, yeah, so I think that that was real big. Uh, Brinson Pashnik of the Arizona State Sun Devils, former Bonneville Pontiac, uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, I remember having you on in the past and you were telling me, reflecting on your time in the AJHL. And, uh, you know, one of the things that stood out when I look at the stats line was 161 penalty minutes and how you said you <laughs> love fighting. You don't get to do that in college hockey. So over your time in the last four years, how have you sort of evolved as a player? Your point production as a Pontiac was always there. You've always been an offensive guy that has continued here uh, at the, at the collegiate level as well. But how have you evolved as a player? Yeah, um, quite a bit. I think, I mean, in in juniors, I, I was still offensive and everything, but I was kind of a pest on the ice. But when I came to college, I mean, we are wearing full face masks, um, so there isn't really any fighting. So I kind of just took that out of my game and, you know, really laid back on my penalty minutes. And also, like, as you get higher up, you know, play so much harder and faster. So I, I just didn't have energy to be that pest anymore. I, I had to see the, uh, a guy who just um, really tried to chip in offensively and was sound defensively. And when that whistle blew, you know, I didn't want to start chirping guys. I just wanted to get off, get on the bench, and, and get a rest. That's funny. First uh, Sun Devil to hit the century mark in career points as well. What does that mean for you? Yeah, that was a really special night. I got I got to do that in front of my uh, friends and family on, on senior weekend. So that was something I didn't really uh, think I could attain. Uh, my time here but you know it just it, it happened and you know, I'm forever grateful for that that was a a really cool uh, milestone to hit to say the least and yeah I'm just really thankful. Now when the decision had come down to end the year for uh, for college hockey uh, were you guys all together how did how did that message get uh, delivered to you as players? Yeah we were uh, it was our final practice um, and we all showed up to the rink and we had a we had a, a a feeling that it wasn't good news, but, you know, our coach held a meeting and uh, broke the news to us. And it was pretty sad, but we got to have just one, one last fun day together. We went out and just played, you know, a little scrimmage and had some fun. So it was a good way to go out for sure. Just at least we were all together and we heard it firsthand from our coach when we were at the rink. So, but it was sad. 
Speaking of coach, that'd be Greg Powers. So what has he meant to your career and, and for players that, you know, that might still be in the AJHL or other junior leagues that are weighing their options and, and, and ASU might be one of their, uh, their choices. Uh, what can you tell them about uh, coach Powers? Yeah, he's been, he's been unbelievable. I couldn't have asked for anything more. I coached, um, especially at this high level. He, he allowed me the opportunity that I truly wanted. He let me, you know, go out and play every single night and, um, realize that it's okay to make mistakes but um all he asks is that your effort level's there every single night and he's all right if you make a mistake and and you're still working working your butt off out there so um he's been awesome you know he truly uh cares about his players he'll do anything for them um so he's been awesome i I couldn't have asked for a better coach in college brinson tell take me back to last summer because your club actually got to go over and uh, you played in russia didn't you against some pro teams we played in China, actually. Oh, China, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that was a that was a crazy experience. Um, going to the other side of the world to play some. Uh, we played one KHL team and yeah. then uh, a couple VHL teams, but no, that was really cool. I mean, China uh, wasn't really what I expected it to be. It was, it was way different, but it was so cool to um, really see the culture and we got to you know walk on the Great Wall and um, all that fun stuff and play some really good hockey teams and uh, we ended up winning that little mini tournament there so that was yeah. that was awesome it was a, a trip I'll never forget great way to start the season uh, you said it it was different than you expected can you elaborate on that a little bit what was what was different yeah there was just honestly the traffic I, I knew traffic was going to be bad but I never imagined it uh being that bad it took like <laughs> 30 minutes to go a mile so it was crazy but um no like I said it was it was really cool because there's so many people there, but you, it, it's such like a safe city. We're in Beijing and you don't feel scared when you're on the street or anything. Um, so all the people are awesome over there. It's just that that language barrier was kind of hard sometimes because sure. you're trying to communicate with someone and they're trying to communicate with you and you just have no idea what each other is saying. Now, did you have a, a lot of spectators come to those games? Uh, honestly, no, not really. Uh. It was, um, it's pretty quiet in the sands, but that's right. It was, it was fun. All right. Uh, well, you end this year with 37 points, and uh, being a, a senior, that is it for your your uh, college career. Um, the next step for you, I would assume that there'd be a, a lot of interest from uh, NHL clubs or, or pro hockey in general. Uh, where are you at with that? Have you do you have something uh, brewing? Do you got some breaking news? <laughs> I do. Um, definitely have. Uh have a spot in mind that um, uh, I'll be making official pretty soon. Um, just waiting to hear on uh, a, a few things. But, yeah, um, there's definitely an NHL contract that, that will be coming soon for sure. Well, that's outstanding. Congratulations uh, on that. Um, also, uh, big news for you uh, this week. You have maybe haven't heard yet, uh, but the uh, All-Canadians uh, list uh, – Brought to you by the Pipeline Show came out, and uh, you're one of uh, the two defensemen. Uh, Ian Mitchell, another AJHL guy playing for the Denver Pioneers, uh, your defensive partner on the All-Canadians list. So uh, congratulations <laughs> on that. Uh, tongue-in-cheek, obviously, but uh, terrific season. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. I uh, <laughs> definitely wouldn't mind playing with Ian Mitchell. I know he's a, he's a pretty incredible hockey player, so it's pretty cool to be on that list with him. It's pretty cool and um, special honor. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to ask you about, did you, did you get married last summer? I did, yes. I found the one in college. Didn't waste any time putting a ring on her finger. 
Oh, that, oh, well, congratulations on that. I know it's uh, it's been an, uh, a little while now, but uh, I hadn't talked to you uh, since I'd heard that. Um, so is she from uh, from down there? Yeah, um, she is from Phoenix. So um, she's a she's an Arizona Stater for life. Um, she's lived three miles from the university her whole life. So uh, I guess it was meant to be. <laughs> oh well, that's excellent. And now uh, that's why you'd be, you'd still be down there. Uh, during uh, these tumultuous times. Uh, well, Brinson, listen, I really appreciate you making time for the Pipeline Show once again. Uh, congratulations on an outstanding college career and the impending NHL contract. Uh, you're not dropping any hints for us, are you? <laughs> no, no, I can't yet, but uh, <laughs> it's coming soon for sure. Excellent. Well, thanks, uh, thanks for this, and uh, best of luck in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Brinson Pashnuk from the Arizona State Sun Devils. Who knows which team he is going to sign with? I saw reports that it uh, is down to a couple of different teams. Uh, I have a source that tells me uh, it's not a Canadian team, so uh, likely to sign south of the border, considering his wife is uh, from the Phoenix area and has gone to school in that area and never really lived anywhere else. Uh, I would think the Coyotes might be of interest. I don't know that, though, and uh, as I'm recording this right now on uh, early, well, just afternoon on Friday, uh, I have not seen any sort of official announcement yet, So, um, but expect something soon in terms of Brinson Pashnak uh, signing on with an NHL team. That wraps up this week's episode. I want to thank the three guests that you heard from today. I also want to thank the um, U.S. National Development Program uh, and uh, John and Pete uh, for uh, setting me up with uh, Jake. Also, uh, the folks at Arizona State who did the same so I could uh, get in contact with Princeton. And, of course, uh, my friend Pete Labardius uh, for that almost an hour-long conversation to lead off the show earlier today. Quick thank you to everybody who has signed up to be a patron. Uh, you had the access to the article for the second edition, second annual All-Canadian uh, NCAA team. And you had access to all of these interviews for the last couple of days as well. Uh, and thank you for your continued support. These are trying times for everybody. Uh, and uh, I know certainly my family is uh, feeling it right now as well, as we are all hunkered down in our uh, little uh, house in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so the, the financial support, a couple of bucks a month that the uh, patrons chip in uh, has really, really helped. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, and lastly... Um, Stay safe. I mean, and take care of each other. Take care of your families. Be kind to each other. Uh, these are unprecedented and difficult times for everybody. And uh, who knows how long it's going to last. But let's make sure that when we get to the other side of it, uh, we're better off for it. There will be another episode next week. Don't know who the guests are yet, uh, but looking forward to speaking with you then. Until next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.